Well, welcome everybody to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. I am Pastor Lucas Hillman, and I get to serve as the lead pastor at Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. This is a weekly podcast discussing theology, scripture, and ideas in the local church to help you flourish in Christ. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again for tuning into the podcast. Uh, Each week, we're hoping to dive a little bit deeper into certain scriptures that we covered on a Sunday morning uh, worship service. And again, maybe point out some nuance or deeper ideas or threads that we just wouldn't have time to cover or may not even be really appropriate to cover on a Sunday morning. Um, But we want to make sure we allot extra time uh, during the podcast to do so. Uh, If you were able to listen to the last uh, podcast, we we took quite a bit of time uh, kind of teasing the idea of headship out, authority, uh, and submission. Uh, If I remember right, I think uh, the podcast did go about 40 minutes, which is about 30 minutes longer than um, we anticipate. But sometimes uh, topics such as that do need some more time to think biblically about and how they will play out in our lives. Um, And today's topic also, again, may be a little bit weighty, but it also is in God's Word. Uh, It's in 1 Corinthians 11, which is where we find ourselves again, and uh, it's the topic of head head coverings, particularly the idea of headship as it relates to head coverings. Uh, Head coverings have historically been seen as kind of a controversial topic, not uh, because they are offensive in any way, uh, but rather is Paul getting at an enduring command in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says that women ought to wear head coverings? And if they don't, they dishonor their head. Now, again, the idea of who is the head in this in this uh, argument, whether it be their actual physical uh, cranium or their husband, or uh, what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 11 is, well, cover your head because of the angels, uh, which again is just a, a very mysterious reason for why head coverings might uh, need to take place. Uh, but we uh, last time covered uh, verse 3, really 2 and 3, and so the rest of 1 Corinthians 11 dealing with head coverings is, first, uh, is chapter 11, verses 4 through 16, uh, and particularly, again, the issue of uh, headship, head coverings, authority, um, all of these different things. And again, one important literary note which helps us situate our conversation is remembering that 1 Corinthians 11 makes a turn in the letter to talk about the corporate worship setting, uh, meaning that all of the discussions uh, happening in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, or rather, sorry, 11, 12, 13, 14 deal with the gathering of God's people and what orderly, God-honoring worship will look like. And so Paul is dealing with the issue of head coverings and how, um, again, how the Corinthian women uh, were not practicing something that he felt the need to um, correct. Um, and so we do go back to the word uh, kelephe, which is the word to which it's translated head, uh, about the head of a wife is her husband, uh, the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So Paul goes on to write, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. 
Now, again, there there is a lot of debate about what this all means, but I want to point out a few things about what Paul is getting at here uh, before we get to the literal understanding of the uh, head covering, whether it be a shawl, uh, a covering, uh, a scarf, veil, whatever it is. Um, I want to say something about headship, because again, I think something that um, is woven quite masterfully throughout these verses is the idea of headship, um, and in that Christ is the head of every man, uh, and Paul says that the man is head of his wife, and God the head of Christ. Now, what does headship mean and not mean? Well, headship does not mean uh, in any way the inferiority of women. Um, again, we have to go back to the creation narrative, which Paul alludes to uh, later on in verse 7, 8, and 9, um, that the creation narrative hints at, actually I think explicitly says, uh, in a somewhat poetic way, that women are co-equal with men. Uh, meaning in value, dignity, worth, um, respect, um, they are co-equal. They image God Though different, we talked about gender distinction, though different, the same in essence, um, if you will. Meaning that Eve was taken from the side of Adam, not from his foot, as to indicate he she was lower than him. Not from the head, to indicate she was higher than him. Not from any other place in the man's body to, to indicate that she was created for a specific purpose. Uh, but rather, not even a, Eve was not even a separate creation altogether. God did not form more dust of the ground and breathe life into her. Uh, rather, she took, or rather, God took her out of the side of Adam. Again, meaning that there is a sameness to humans, male and female. There is a sameness when it comes to uh, being when it comes to value, when it comes to worthy of honor, when it comes to those things. Yet, there is distinction. Men and women are not the same. Uh, again, we went back to that, that we have to maintain a distinction. Jesus is not the Father. Father is not Jesus, and neither of them are the Spirit. There is distinction. Male, female are distinct. Like it says in verse 7 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 11, For man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Paul's referencing the creation narrative. And the woman was created as a glorious complement to man. Again, gifted to him as a helper in order to actually complete him. In a, in a way, men are incomplete without the complement of femininity. Meaning, uh, again, women ought to be welcomed in as a counterbalance, counterperspective, uh, in order to somehow, again, in a mysterious way, image God more completely. But they are not the same. Uh, men and women do differ. That's the big thing that we are trying to communicate and hammer home. Not necessarily, again, I think we said before, we don't want to hit hammer hard and kind of uplift uh, gender roles as the uh, thing here, but rather gender distinction, which I think is the more uh, faithful way to interpret this. Um, so it's, and I will say this, that I believe it is sinful uh, to degrade women to an inferior status in any way. Headship does not mean inferiority. Likewise, headship does not mean the subservience of women. Women were not created as servants to men. 
It's sinful and degrading to our wives, our sisters, and sisters in Christ if we as males think that they are nothing but a nanny or a servant uh, to ensure that we just get to accomplish our goals, even if they're good, godly goals. Uh, We are called to love them as Christ loved the church, Uh, that we are called to serve and outdo them in showing honor, Um, laying our lives down especially for if we are married to our wives. Um, Again, you have to take into account Paul's idea of gender roles uh, in Ephesians 5, where the husband will lay down his life for the sake of the church to ask himself day to day, how how do I need to suffer? How do I need to sacrifice in order for my, my wife and family to flourish? That is what it means to love the other as Christ loved the church. Christ laid everything down. This is what chapter 9 was all about. He surrendered his rights in order that we might maintain, or rather, I should say, gain relationship with God. Headship does not mean the subservience of women. Headship does not mean, uh, does not imply independent decision-making. So on the ground, I think headship does not immediately say that women have no voice or opinion in the direction of the church or family. Um, again, decisions made in the home or in the church are not may, may, meant to be made in a vacuum. Women, their opinions and viewpoints are welcomed into the decision-making process, both in the home and in the church. I think some of the most healthiest marriages, God-honoring marriages that I have had the honor of seeing, witnessing, and being uh, a part of have been the ones where the husband is inviting the wife to say, what am I missing here? Help me understand what I don't. Be my true helper because I don't have the ability you do in this situation. Help me. Again, honoring our wives in that way. Likewise, the wives doing the same. It is a it is a mutual self-giving uh, that makes this work well. Headship does not imply independent decision-making. Uh, husbands ought to invite that. Men ought to invite that into the process, by meaning that women. Number four, headship does not mean that women cannot teach in the church. Um, now, again, this has been a, a, a point of contention, uh, especially within the past 12 months, uh, especially here in the church in America, simply because what does it mean about teaching? Um, and again, I will lean on verse 5 here in 1 Corinthians 11, right? And Paul will say, But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as her head were shaven. Now, again, it's saying that Paul is explicitly expecting that women would be praying and prophesying in this setting. Now, what's the setting? Remember verses, our chapter 11 through 14, the corporate worship assembly. Um, now, what does it mean for to pray and prophesy in that way? Though we have, there are cultural markings of authority, the head coverings that they um, that are meant to be in place when they're speaking and leading, meaning that they are coming under the authority of somebody else as they do so. Would you believe that the Apostle Paul is demonstrating God's good design for discipleship and life in the church? Both genders proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel in a way that doesn't overturn the distinction that he is laying out, but also allowing women to participate in proclaiming the good news, teaching, and prophesying. I do believe that uh, the office of pastor, elder, 
uh, shepherd is reserved for males. And again, I see that in 1 Timothy uh, and Titus. But at the same time, I think um, we the church at large is beginning to reckon with the fact that there are many gifted teachers, uh, people, uh, rather women, who have the ability to read, understand, communicate, exhort, encourage people, God's people, in God's Word, without needing the title pastor, without needing the title elder, or the authority that is associated with those things. Um, Theologians John Frame and Vern Poithers recognize two types of teaching in the church, uh, specifically within Pauline literature. There's a general teaching, and there's a special teaching. And again, I like the way that they uh, distinguish between these two, meaning that general teaching includes simple, uh, rather, it includes explanation of content and exhortations to obey. And in their case, they say that women can and should do often, including formal and public worship service or even in mixed audiences in the church. Again, I like the way that they articulate between general and special. If it is a general to say this is what God's Word says, and this is what it is calling us to do, to adore Christ and obey Him. Again, I do believe that is open to women within the local church. Now, they would distinguish between special teaching um, as one of call, uh, rather one who's speaking with authority on behalf of the church concerning doctrine, concerning uh, judgments made by the church about true and false teaching. Um, now, why would we make that distinction? It's not that women are unable to spot false teaching. It's not that women are incapable of thinking deeply about God and doctrine. Again, it's leaning into what we believe God is saying about gender distinction and roles. Uh, that could it be that it's not necessarily meant to limit women in any way, but it is to call us to lean into God's good design. When it comes to our church, I want to make sure that we—I I want to follow what Jen Wilkin will say, and I think it's a challenging word for us. She says this, the challenge for those in church leadership is to consider— whether we are crafting a church culture that permits women to serve or one that pursues women to serve. Grace Christian Fellowship hopes to be a place where we don't simply tolerate women being around. We don't simply tolerate their opinions, but rather we would pursue them um, and, and call them into goodness and obedience to Jesus Christ. Uh, and again, have them submit to Christ um, in, in a way that is that is honoring to them and the gifts that God has given them. Again, all in submission to God's Word, and even, again, the, the good design that Jesus has given His church. So when it comes to headship, um, about husbands being the head of the wife, or women being the glory of men, and again, all of this language in 1 Corinthians 11, I do believe that there is a design that God has laid out, that men are called to certain roles within the church, um, that is, pastors, elders, uh, holding that authority with uh, fear and trembling, uh, in, in exercising oversight, uh, in humility and courage. Um, and women are also meant to uh, come under that, 
uh, to to recognize that and support and help. Again, we as elders, pastors, are really incapable of seeing all things as we ought, and we ought to invite women into the decision-making processes to help us understand um, people in our in our congregations that need care, that need exhortation or correction or encouragement or prayer or whatever it is. Again, um, hopefully we understand that there is a distinction uh, and there is a design, and God is calling us to lean into those, and by faith we will do so. Now, moving along, what do we do about the literal head coverings when Paul gives the command that uh, women, if they don't have their head covered, they dishonor their head. Um, Again, and he he says, well, in verse 10, he says, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. What a strange thing, Paul. Why, again, that is the only place we get any semblance of this reasoning. It's just, well, because of the angels, you ought to. Um, now, here, when it comes to the issue of head covering, um, it, we have to ask ourselves, um, what was going on? What is Paul commending to them? Um, why is Paul concerned about women wearing a covering? Is it a modesty thing? Is it a gender distinction thing? Is it a cultural respect thing? Uh, the, and again, I think we would do be wise because I think Paul pivots back and forth between all of these things. Sometimes it's about modesty. Sometimes it's about gender distinction, husband, wife, and others. It's a cultural thing. And again, another thing you have to understand here is how much of the Corinthian context is uh, informing Paul's practice, meaning based on where this church is planted, that why does Paul not talk about this in Galatia? Uh, Thessalonica, Ephesians, uh, or anywhere, or even Romans. Um, it's really just in Corinth that he gives the um, the charge to wear head coverings. Now, either we again we are left with two things here: either every other church was practicing this with no need for comment, or there was something more necessary in Corinth uh, that made Paul address this in particular. Um, and again, I will say, I do believe it's pivoting back between uh, all three of gender distinction, modesty, and cultural respect. Um, I'll, I'll follow Kyle, uh, Kyle Harper here, a historian who put it this way, Roman women in late antiquity were mar- marked above all else by modesty. And a mature woman was to wear her hair, or, or rather, I should say this, and a mature woman to wear her hair unveiled, was one of the chief signs of sexual, uh, sexual and and modest sexuality and modesty. Uh, actually, I think I misquoted that. Um, it's actually um, immodesty, meaning that if a person, a, a woman in Roman culture, were were to wear her hair down and unveiled, it was a, a sign of uh, sexual availability and immodesty. So um, part of why Paul will say you must make again, although free in Christ. Although no, they will not commend you to God, First uh, Corinthians eleven eight, but also, or rather, sorry, First Corinthians eight, talking about food sacrifice to idols. Um, our righteousness, covering or not, does not commend us to God. But there is a way in which we can um, kind of shirk cultural standards in an effort to demonstrate our freedom uh, and end up communicating something all together. Um, so again, I think Paul here is saying, don't you have to remember where you are at, Corinthians. Um, and if you wear hair unveiled within a religious religious setting or even a, a, a cultural setting, it may be communicating something you're not intending. 
Now, you are free, but again, Paul, being the wise missionary, would say it is a good thing for you to do so uh, because it could dishonor not only yourself but also those around you. Um, Again, part of this is also corporate worship. What we do has a bearing on the people around us. Um, It is a... um, I think it's foolish to think that our actions only affect us. Uh, Parents of children or friends or family that act in ways that we aren't exactly proud of experience this, that if they do something that we're like, oh, I don't approve of that, but that's just them. Um, Other people's actions can reflect on us for good or bad. Um, And cultural appropriateness um, within Corinth will say that the idol temples um, were where women were able to wear their hair hair down, uncovered. And again, historically, I think it's been proven that this was a sign of prostitution and a sexual availability. So we can over-apply this text or we can under-apply this text. Paul is definitely saying something here. We can't disregard a biblical uh, text like this and say, well, that was then, this is now. But what does Paul mean? We can over-apply it and say, uh, well, the head coverings do translate to our culture too uh, in the same way. Well, uh, or we can under-apply it and be like, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just trying to oppress women. Um, And again, maybe one rule of thumb here is to apply our reasoning to other uh, biblical commands. And the one we pointed to, I think, is a good one. Uh, 1 Corinthians, he ends the letter in chapter 16, verse 20. He says, "All uh, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet another with a holy kiss. Okay, so... Uh, what are we going to do with that? Is that an enduring thing or is that a cultural thing? And again, most of us will argue that that was a cultural thing, um, that kissing each other on a cheek in, with brotherly or sisterly affection was a way to greet one another uh, with warmth and welcome. Um, that's That does, has not carried over until our day. Rather, um, we, we do things that are appropriate to our culture. Now, it's really important, especially going back to the head coverings, that um, there are cultural appropriate ways to express headship. There are cultural appropriate ways to uh, express gender distinction. There are cultural appropriate ways uh, to express familial affection within the body of Christ. Again, Paul will say, well, what are the principles? Gender distinction is the principle. Honoring one another is the principle. Uh, And again, greeting one another with warmth and familial affection is a principle. How those are played out, again, is somewhat contextual, but we ought to strive to honor one another. We ought to strive to greet one another. We ought to strive to, again, promote God's good design of male and femaleness within, within the church, within the family, within the friendships, within the, uh, again, culture, culture at large. Thus, I would just say head coverings was a custom with a particular purpose. That's the bottom line on how I will interpret 1 Corinthians 11 uh, and its uh, head covering issue. I think it's a, it was a custom with a particular purpose, and the, the principle behind it ought to still be upheld. One of gender distinction, one of, of, again, God's good design of male and female. Again, one quick equation that might help us. There's biblical principles plus cultural appropriateness will equal Christian customs, meaning there are principles in Scripture. Hermeneutically, we can approach Scripture, interpret it, 
and to say, what is God's, the spirit of God's word telling us about what it means to be human and live life in obedience to him? That's the principle. And then plus, there's a cultural appropriateness, the way in which actions are uh, received, interpreted by those in our culture. Um, what is offensive one place may not be another, and vice versa. So we need to apply the principle sola scriptura. It is our authority. There are principles that are binding to us. Um, but the appropriateness of that within certain cultures may need to be adapted, and that will result in the in, in local Christian customs. So I'll end with this. Kevin DeYoung simply says, however we interpret this passage, God wants men to look like men and women to look like women. Though what is physic what that physically looks like may vary from time to time and place to place. The Bible affirms, though, it is disgraceful for a man to appear as a woman and a woman to be as a man, and to confuse the gender distinction is as set out in creation is a dishonoring to God. And again, I think that's where we will land, is that God wants us to lean into the gift of gender to lean into the gift of femaleness and maleness and that expression. Uh, God has created his church full of people, male and female, that are meant to bring honor, glory, obedience, uh, all of life to him. And we'll end as we did with our Sunday morning. I will simply say, women in the church, we need you. Men in the church, we need you. We need you to lead those around you. Um, God has put you in your place of influence, whether it be family, friendships, the church, your place of vocation, or wherever it is, um, for his purposes. Look unto him, and may the Spirit continually guide you into the truth. Um, and, And to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, a ministry of Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. You can visit our website and find out more about our church at gracechristian.com. As well, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube.